Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Can the Boston Celtics make history? Down three games to none. The Celtics won yet again last night in the Eastern Conference Finals and now only trail three games to two, thus putting some of the pressure back on the Miami Heat as the series heads back to South Beach for game six this weekend. Can they storm all the way back? Can they win this series? Can they advance back to the NBA Finals? Or will the Heat take care of business this weekend? We shall see. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We, of course, are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. Good morning, sir. How are you, my friend? I've had better I've had better mornings. Um... Bud! It's okay. I mean, look, it's just the Sunbelt tournament. Just, <laughs> you know, games are starting in hours, and and I didn't know it was going to be that late, so I didn't like prepare and take a nap earlier, which is what I would usually do. I've kind of developed that system, but so that all caught me. So now we're sitting here, and I mean, I didn't even make it to the ninth inning, but I I, I made it close, and so. You know, we're dealing with that, but we're going to get through it because it's, it's Friday. It, it, it's been that way this week. Myself with the Southland Conference Tournament and the 14-inning game between Nichols and McNeese the other night put me on the struggle bus. You stayed up late last night to watch the Cajuns baseball game. Oh, yes. The weekend weekend is here. And, of course, uh, we get a three-day weekend as well. So get to recharge those batteries a little bit, bud. Come back refreshed, ready to go for regional baseball action and possibly, maybe, Some Women's College World Series action for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We'll see. We'll see. we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to close out the week strong. I tried to say, Dawson, let's just limp to the finish line here this week. And you know what this young man did? He said, RP3, no offense, but we got to slip our game up. we got to give the people a show that will not only rock their socks off, but will prepare them for the tremendous holiday weekend. I said, okay. So we stepped it up. Coming up at 7 o'clock, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle will join us to talk Houston Astros baseball. Can they get back on track after being shut out back-to-back days by the Milwaukee Brewers? And we'll also hit on a little bit of Leeds United, get an update on their relegation status in the English Premier League. Yes. 
Then at 7.30, how about one of the greatest football players in Louisiana's history? Hmm? How about LSU Hall of Famer, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and Pro Football Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai will be joining us for a great two-part discussion about his lengthy career. Man only almost played 20 years in the NFL as an offensive lineman. And about the Louisiana line camp, which he has served as a volunteer coach for for years. That'll be coming up at 7.30. We'll talk to our friend Chris Smith, owner-operator of Lafayette Marble and Granite. Get the latest news about what they have going on right down the road from us. And then we'll talk NBA playoffs and maybe squeeze in a little Pelicans talk with Jake Madison of the Locked On Pels and the Locked On NBA podcast. So that's what we got lined up for you this morning here on RP3 and Company. Of course, we'll touch on all the baseball that occurred last night. LSU getting another tremendous performance from their relief pitchers. But Paul Skeens had a rare bad day at the office. And they lose. And they get dropped down to the loser's bracket. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns took on Coastal Carolina. And the Chanticleers just said, hey, it's time for home run derby as they take care of the Cajuns and send them down to the loser's bracket of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And the McNeese Cowboys, in an elimination game yesterday, shut out the number two seed in Carnate Word. They stave off elimination, and they'll try to play two games today to advance to the championship round. We'll get to all of that and so much more. Of course, your phone calls, you know we love to hear from you. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off with NBA playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals. Once again, I'll ask the question, where was this Boston Celtics team the first three games of the series. They are an immensely curious, they are an oddity because they have the talent to beat a team by 15 points any single night. Is it they choose not to? Do they lack focus? Do they just feel like, well, we can beat anyone, so it doesn't matter what happens in a series? We'll find a way. Maybe a level of arrogance there that lets them play sloppy. Because when they're on, they're the best team in the NBA. When they're on, they're the best team in the NBA. But the problem for Boston, the last quarter of the regular season, and then these entire playoffs is that they play like they're the not the best team in the NBA. They play sloppy. They lack execution. They lack focus. And a lot of times, I'm going to be honest with you, they lack effort. But last night, they showed you what their potential was. 110-97 win over the Miami Heat there at the New Garden. And that makes the series now three games to two. Still in favor of Miami, who went up three games none in this series. Now, the game was back in Boston. Celtics stole a game down in South Beach to stave off elimination, and then they win when they come back home. 
and they got some great contributions from a multiple multitude of players. They shot really well or shot the heck out of the three ball, which played a big role in this game. And you look at it, Marcus Smart gave him four three-pointers. White gave him six three-pointers. Jalen Brown gave him three-pointers. And they were able to get a couple of three-pointers off the bench. And they used that three-ball prowess to be able to win this game. 16 to 29 from three-point range in the game. Tatum gives them 21, 23 from Smart, 24 from White, 21 from Brown. Shifting Williams to the bench has kind of paid off in the last few games. That lineup has worked against what Miami puts out there. But Boston's best players, Tatum, Smart, Brown, all scored at least 20 points. And they shot well from three-point range. Miami, meanwhile, Jimmy only had 14. He was 5 of 10 from the field. He just could never get into an offensive rhythm. Bam did have 16 in this game. And they got contributions off the bench. Duncan Robinson, Highsmith gave them 18 and 15. Martin gave them 14. But they didn't get much from their starters. Kyle Lowry was inserted into the lineup. Played 30 minutes, only scored five points. You're not going to win many games when your starting point card only scored you five points. I don't care how talented you are how much depth you have if your starting point guard goes out there and gives you a whopping five points not going to win many games that's just kind of rule of thumb so Boston wins the game they avoid being swept from the other night now they have made it a series series goes back to Miami I still expect Miami to win game six and to win the series. That said, what Boston team are you going to see show up? Like, Miami is limited because the Heat have Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys who are undrafted or over-the-heel washed-up guys. Kevin Love, Kyle Lowry. They don't have a lot of guys. It's Jimmy and Bam, a bunch of undrafted cats, and two players well past their prime. So it kind of makes sense if Boston's in control of this series. Boston should win this series. But once again, the great equalizer in this series has been Miami's coaching and the fact that they get so much out of so little. When Boston plays to their potential, they're obviously the better team, the more talented team, and they win. But do you have any confidence, D to the low, son of the Iceman, that Boston is going to continue to play to its potential and actually storm back and win this series after being down 3-none? I'm pretty perplexed by this series as a whole. I, I you know, a lot of times too in a series, you get a you get kind of a flow from one game to the next. You get kind of this momentum build. And I haven't seen every minute of this series. I won't act like I have, but I've seen a, a large portion of it, right? And there's no sense of of who has the momentum one game to the next in my opinion. Um I just don't know which team's going to show up and I think 
I think most of that comes down to, to how Boston plays, right? I just think that they're just so inconsistent, and and that makes it really difficult to gauge because, again, from these last two games, like it hasn't been like Boston's hit a couple of last-second shots to win these games to get back in the series. Like They've dominated this, these last two. So that side of it makes me think, that I mean, why couldn't Boston win these next two games right now? What a story it would be for the uh, Boston franchises as a whole to be the <laughs> the next team to now do a, the impossible, right? With the 3-0 deficit, of course, uh, a, a little baseball team in Boston did something like that in 4 against the Yankees. So, you know, that's certainly uh, starting to, you know, we're not there yet, but we're, we're, we're going to keep an eye on that storyline, of course. Um, but no, I just don't have a great gauge. I, I, I couldn't, you know, if I, and again, I tell you, I don't really bet, but this is a series I'd completely stay away from because I have no idea what's going to happen in Game Six. You think Miami's going to win it? I don't know. I really, really don't. I, I'm I, lost. I still like their chances because they went up three games to none and they only have to win one more. Now, and the reason why I like Miami's chances is not because of the talent. Boston is the more talented team. Boston has more talent in their starting five. Boston has more talent coming off the bench. Once again, it's Jimmy Butler, Bam, a bunch of undrafted dudes, and two guys that probably shouldn't even be on a team because they're that over the hill. That's what Spo is throwing out there. But once again, the way Boston has played the last month of the season and throughout these playoffs where Boston is easily the more talented team, Dawson, but yet we've talked about it. They play around with their food, and all of a sudden you look around and they're down by 15 or 20 points in a game. And you're like, what? How's this possible? How's a guy that's an MVP candidate in Tatum and a bunch of other guys that got all these max contracts that are really good players, including one guy that was the defensive player of the year just a season ago, how are they down? I still don't understand how they're down three games to two. It still perplexes me. I have no idea. None. Would I be surprised if Boston comes back and win this series? No. They're the more talented team, and usually, especially in the NBA, talent is what wins out at the end. At the end of the day, it's which team has, nine times out of ten, the most talent. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. Think of the Heat-Spurs finals. Right? You know, Tim Duncan, top five player all time. And a lot of other really good players around him, Ginobili and Parker, but they were towards the end of their career by that point as well. They still were able to win an NBA finals over the Miami Heat. So it happens. Even though the Heat had LeBron and D-Wade and Bosh and, you know, So I don't know. I still don't know. I mean, I I lean couple, towards Miami, but I yeah. don't know. The, you know, one of the key adjustments I think Boston's made has has been getting out on the three point shooters for for Miami, and I think I guess maybe part of it is maybe respecting these guys that for a while that Boston just didn't mm. you know didn't think guys like Struess could beat them, and I guess at that point. You know, at some point in this series, they've decided, all right, we have to change our approach, and this is the team we're dealing with. Again, maybe some of these, some of this undrafted, 
you know, guys who haven't played a ton of minutes throughout their careers, maybe that played into Miami's advantage at the beginning of the series, right? Boston maybe didn't have as deep a report on these guys. And again, like playoff basketball, you start to get heavy into the matchups. Like these, the scouting reports start to get deeper. You know, it's you have more and more games against the team in a row. It's not something that happens in the regular season. You don't play three game series in basketball throughout the year, right? So I, maybe that has something to do with it. But they've certainly made an adjustment. Miami didn't. You know, they're not shooting at a poor percentage though. That's the other weird thing here. I mean, they're right. They actually outshot Boston percentage wise. Um, but Boston made a bunch of threes, so I, we'll see an adjustment. I think Miami's got to shoot the ball well, which you'd expect them to do more so at home. you got to have Vincent back too, right? Yeah, you got to get a couple of performances to help out Butler, yeah. and then maybe, look, maybe Jimmy gives you one more just real, unreal performance. I think that might be what it takes, but <laughs> I wouldn't doubt him. I certainly wouldn't doubt a guy like Jimmy Butler at this point with what he's done this postseason. It's such an unpredictable series, and here's the other thing. You know, who, he, you know who's happy with all this? You just want to take a guess who's happy with, with this well, series? Well, I'm going to guess you're going to say Denver. The, the interesting thing, though, is is I don't know if Denver's long layoff will be interesting to see for me how that looks in Game 1 and 2 because this is like an unprecedented type situation. I mean, how many times throughout a year, you know, maybe what, the All-Star break? Even then, maybe. I don't know if it's that long. You're going to have more than a full week off if you're Denver. Again, I like the aspect of rest and everything like that, and you get some guys healthy that are maybe banged up at this point in the playoffs, but... I, I'll be, I will be interested to see how sharp they come out in game one, you know, on June or July 27th, whenever game one of the NBA Finals is. My counterpoint to that is, and it's a valid point by you, my counterpoint is they haven't, they don't have the wear and tear on their bodies, say, like if Miami advances. Because remember, Miami had to come through the playing tournament and come up that way. So they're going to have more wear and tear on them. So interesting to see. We're interested to see who's going to win this series. I still like Miami. I still like them to win game six back in Miami, especially if Vincent plays for them. But would not be surprised to see Boston win this series. But once again, you never do know which Celtics team you're going to get on any given night. We got to take a timeout. When we return, LSU baseball team got another tremendous outing from their relief pitchers at the SEC tournament. Unfortunately, this time, it didn't matter because their star ace pitcher had a rare off day and the Tigers lost. We'll get to that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers... Got very good performances from their bullpen in the opening round win against South Carolina, or their opening round win against South Carolina at the SEC tournament. And guess what? They got some good performances from their bullpen again yesterday against Arkansas. Here's the problem. Arkansas's pitching staff struck out 17 Tigers in the game. They were a little filthy yesterday. 
and the best pitcher that LSU has, who may be the best pitcher in the country, who's going to be probably a top three draft pick this summer, had a bad game. And Arkansas took advantage as the Razorbacks defeat the Tigers by the score of five to four. Hold on to win the game five to four. They move on in the winner's bracket. LSU has to drop down to the loser's bracket, and they'll take on Texas A&M this afternoon. First pitch scheduled for 3 o'clock. Pre-game will begin at 2.30. We'll have that game for you, of course, live right here on the game. You're home for LSU athletics. Arkansas's pitchers were filthy, but LSU had every opportunity to win this ballgame. They struck first. Trey Morgan drove in Tommy White with an RBI single into left field to make it one nothing in the opening frame. Paul Skeens looked okay early on, only allowed one hit through the first three innings. Top of the fourth, LSU extended their lead. Travinsky and Morgan both hit singles down the left field side. Jordan Thompson, Braden Jobert were retired by Arkansas's Hagen Smith. Gavin Dugas then drew a walk to load the bases. And Travinsky ended up scoring on a wild pitch to give LSU the two-run advantage. But then came the bottom of the fourth. And things went sideways for the Tigers. Boom, boom, boom. Single here. Hit by a pitch here. Single up the middle. And the ball game was tied. Two outs. The bases were loaded. Riley Cooper was brought in for Skeens, who finished the day with just three strikeouts. Kind of an off day for him, obviously. Then there was catcher's interference. And two more runs were scored on a single by Arkansas to make it 5-2 in favor of the Razorbacks. Tigers did try to close the gap the rest of the way. Travinsky hit a single and advanced to second base on a wild pitch in the eighth. Thompson brought him home with a single into left field. That made the deficit only two. And then in the ninth, Dylan Cruz jacked a solo home run, his 15th of the season, to make it a one-run game. But Paxton Kling struck out Tommy White. I'm sorry, Paxton Kling came came in as the pinch hitter. He struck out, and then Tommy White hit into a ground out to end the game. I'm going to tell you why, Dawson, this is not a bad thing. LSU fan not happy, losing to Arkansas, obviously. Understandable. I get it. No one wants to lose to Pig Suey. Not LSU, not anybody else. But... And Paul Skeens had a bad day. Here's the thing. Number one, do you believe Paul Skeens is going to have too many more of those bad outings? Guy's been dominant all season long. He's going to be an All-American. He's going to be a top three draft pick. The likelihood of you seeing another bad Paul Skeens game in an NCAA regional or super regional or at the College World Series is highly unlikely. That's one. Number two, the bullpen has looked good yet again. We've been talking about the Achilles heel of this LSU baseball team. 
being in particular its bullpen. That you have Skeens, you have Ty, Coleman can give you something. But after that, you got a bunch of guys who have been, let's just be honest, absolutely dreadful. They've been dreadful. Cooper's been up and down. Thatcher Hurd has been hot garbage. These guys haven't been good. And in this SEC tournament so far, you've seen these guys pitch very, very well. If I'm an LSU fan today, obviously you're disappointed because you lost to Arkansas. But the SEC tournament is not the prize. The prize has always been getting to Omaha and winning a national championship. And if you can get these guys out of the bullpen who have been not only on the struggle bus, but driving the struggle bus all season long. Guys like Thatcher Hurd. Guys like Cooper. If you can get these guys to pitch the way they've pitched the last couple days in Hoover, Alabama, and you can get them to pitch that way in a regional, super regional, and in Omaha... This team can win it all. That's what I take away from yesterday. The only thing I would add there is is you if if you have cause for concern for me, the only cause would be we haven't seen this from Skeens really. So you don't you don't like the idea of him not feeling his most confident, having his best stuff heading into the regional. But that's not to say he can't completely turn around. But you just hope it's not a sign of you know, just maybe a little fatigue from the season or just anything going on, and, and we won't know that until regional play. But, yeah, I would I would probably err on the side of this being a blip on the radar. He's got too good of stuff to not bounce back. And, look, he's lost a game before this season. So, I mean, it's not as if it hadn't happened. But you're right if you do have a little concern, but you're getting good performances from your relief pitchers finally. And maybe you can carry this momentum that you found at the Met in Hoover and carry that over into an NCAA regional where you're going to need them. In a super regional where you're really going to need them, Dawson. And then, of course, you're going to need those guys to step up if you make it to Omaha and want to make a run in Omaha. Got to take a timeout. When we return... We'll get to the other college baseball action from yesterday. McNeese staves off elimination with a shutout victory over the number two seed in the Southland Conference Tournament. The Southland's a wacky place this year. And the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They took on the Beach Chickens, a.k.a. the Angry Sea Roosters. And it did not go well for Matt Deggs' team. We'll recap both of those for you coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I don't know if you caught it. There was a new episode of the favorite hit TV show, Cajuns After Dark, last night. <laughs> Cajuns After Dark. Oh, yeah. The start times a, for the Sunbelt yeah, Tournament. Nine, nine hours, 11 minutes into the evening is when that game started. Oh, 
gross. 9, 11 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's not a, it's, it's not a, I'm not trying to stay up late to watch a Padres game. What are we doing here, Sunbelt? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, I'm used to it from the times of the Astros heading to the West Coast. They'll be in Oakland tonight, so there will be. And, of course, you can hear that on News Talk 98.5 at 8.40 p.m. first pitch. But, Smooth. Um, you know, it's it's just not what you're used to to watch college baseball. So, um, you know, and that was an adjustment. But, um, you know, and look, Coastal is the number one seed for a reason. I think we all were pretty confident in UL's ability to play with them based on the regular season series. But this Jared Eikhoff guy is now, its it's been for the second straight time. I mean, he looks like prime Nolan Ryan when he plays with UL, and he doesn't do it against anybody else because his numbers aren't that good. But Jared Eikhoff was very good once again. I mean, and, and the Cajuns were able to scrape across a couple of runs here and there, never really put any sustained offense together. Um, Coastal jumped out on Fluno. With uh, three runs in, what, the third inning, and it was a big two-run homer. It kind of got the momentum for them. And so, you know, it just felt like a game you were always trying to fight and claw your way back in it. And offensively, the Cajuns just didn't have an answer. And that's what's surprising about this game is that Coastal is not a great pitching team and not a great defensive uh, team overall. The other thing that stood out about last night's game is that the bottom of the order is what killed the Cajuns. It wasn't the heart of the lineup. It was your seven, eight, nine hitters that are the ones that really put up all the damage in last night's game. And it's crazy to think that. Like it wasn't even Coastal's best hitters that that beat up on the Cajuns. Well, but and that's that lineup too. That's they're very similar to the Cajuns in that you both have two very long lineups. And that's one thing that we talked about as a big strength for for Louisiana down the stretch is how long the lineup is now that you have they're going to be a national seed, like and they may even uh, uh, Coastal is going to host a regional. Host a regional, maybe, and, and maybe, and maybe a national seed. They're going to be in the mix. So, which I will say, by the way, and, and Foot and I have talked about this. I, I don't, I don't personally agree. I think Southern Miss is better than Coastal. Um, you know, but I, I understand some of the resume points. There's another thing that's interesting about Coastal's schedule, and it's something that kind of makes things interesting. Just like thinking about college baseball conceptually here, um, they have. An unbelievable non-conference schedule put together if you only count midweek games. And now, it's just part of the situation of what college baseball looks like in South and North Carolina. Um, because if you go down coastal schedule, it's really and, and I'll and I'll do it in a minute here. Like it's absolutely amazing what they've been able to do without playing huge marquee non-conference series, but just by their midweek games, which. And we've talked about this with the, with the Cajuns, right? Louisiana college baseball is in a healthy place. LSU, of course, very, very good this year. Southeastern's had years where they've been in the national mix. McNeese has had years where they've been very good. But not on the level of these teams where you have not only Power 5 teams, like, of course, North Carolina and North Carolina State, but teams like Campbell, who have come out and been top 25 RPI teams this year. And so that's all helped Coastal kind of create this resume for themselves where they're top 12 in the RPI. And I didn't mean to make this segment all about them, but in the midweek, they have played NC State, 23rd in RPI. College of Charleston, 66th in the RPI. Wake Forest, number one in the RPI. Campbell, number 17. North Carolina, number 27. Clemson, number six. Two more against Campbell. Another against Charleston. Number one Wake Forest again. Charlotte, who's 81st. Like, they've created a schedule in which they haven't played any big marquee non-conference series, but... They've done it in the midweek, and like that's something that's just unique. And I, I just thought it was worth mentioning that Coastal, like that's why their RPI is so high, and that's why they're being ranked so high, 
Um, and a lot of people say they don't, you know, midweek games don't matter. But when you're a team like that and you already have a good conference RPI with the Sun Belt, they've bolstered their resume and they might be a national seed as a result of playing everybody in the state of North Carolina who happened to all be really good this year. Again, that doesn't work out every year like that. It's an that. anomaly, yes. But just really kind of interesting to me. What also is interesting and not great for the Cajuns, they get to play Texas State again at 6.30 tonight. They swept them towards the end of the season, and then they beat them in the conference tournament. Now you got to beat them for a fifth time. A fifth time? Yeah. And the-, the percentages don't favor the Cajuns here, even though I think the Cajuns – uh, the thing with Texas State is Texas State is a very good ball club. The Cajuns just match up really well with them. Right? They they just match up well with them. But this is elimination game. And Texas State is battling to keep its postseason hopes alive to be an at-large team. Because as it stands right now, Coastal, Southern Miss, and I believe Troy are all going to get in from the Sun Belt Conference. Now... The Cajuns and Texas State are the two teams that are kind of battling Dawson to be possibly a fourth team from the Sun Belt Conference to get in as an at-large for an NCAA regional. And both of those teams have work to do. So this is not only a loser-goes-home type of game tonight from the conference tournament, but whoever loses this game will be left at home for sure for an NCAA regional. Yeah, the Cajuns do have uh, a tall task, and uh, yeah, I, you just I, I you don't like the the situation that you're put in there by having to play the same team that you've just dominated. Really, I mean, you've absolutely they dominated just match them. up really well against them. Right now, you're you're gonna see if I had to guess, assuming health and everything like that, you're gonna see Zeke Wood today. But the good news for the Cajuns is that Texas State has already burned their ace Levi Wells. They've yep. burned their number two Tony. Well. That's the other thing, too, that's interesting. Zeke Wood has kind of been the number two. Now, he hasn't pitched as of late, so I don't know if there's an injury there. I'll have to check on that. But they've also burned their top relievers, Zach Stroud and Tristan Dixon. Uh, Tristan Dixon threw four innings yesterday, so he is not going to be available. He also threw two innings in the first game against the Cajuns, so he's definitely not available as far as I'm concerned. Jack Stroud threw last night. We'll see if they try to bring him back for an inning or so, but they're going to be pretty taxed pitching-wise. Um, now, that's not to say the Cajuns aren't because they've already thrown their top two guys, but... I think you have a bit of an advantage on the mound trying to piece this thing together if you're able to get a couple of guys that give you some solid innings. So that's a situation. But, yeah, they, and they've just played so well. Texas State has not had a game where they've played pretty well offensively against UL, even nope. though they're a good offensive team overall. They don't. For so whatever that, reason, that it just, it, it, it's a good matchup for the Cajuns. Now, if the Cajuns win, obviously it's an elimination game. They'll play tonight. And then they'll have to play two on Saturday, correct? To keep their hopes alive for making a run? Right. You'd have to beat Coastal and then play an if-necessary game again against Coastal. I think the scheduling, I don't know if it's set in stone because it depends if both games have if-necessary games or not, right? Ooh, tall task. They'll have to earn it for sure. The McNeese Cowboys, meanwhile, well, they staved off elimination. After losing that epic 14-inning game, Late on Wednesday night to the top seed Nichols Colonels, they were in an elimination game against the number two seed Incarnate Word. And they just went out there and, well, they got the job done because they shut them out. 
After two scoreless innings, McNeese got on the scoreboard in the bottom of the third. Taylor Darden hit a one-out double to left center field and advanced the third on a single by Schuler Thibodeau. Then Payton Harden's bunt attempt was popped up for the second out. So you're like, oh, no. But Brad Burkle took the first pitch he saw, drove it to left center field, which allowed Darden to score. Then Josh Leslie came to the box, managed to drive in both Thibodeau and Burkle with a double down the left field line. That was all the runs they needed. UIW threatening the top of the fourth, leading off with back-to-back singles. But Bryson Hudgens, who pitched extremely well, remember, he missed the majority of the season recovering from injury and surgery. So they didn't have him most of the season. Well, he's starting to come into form right at the right time. He gets out of the jam. UIW with threatened again in the top of the eighth. They got a leadoff signal, uh, single, but Cowboys relief pitcher, Struck out the next batters, walked the third, and then closed things out with another strikeout. McNeese scored all three of their runs in Thursday's win in the third inning, and the number three hole hitter, Josh Leslie, drove in two of those three. (laughs) So, just worked out well for him. Bryson Hutchins threw six shutout innings as he scattered five hits, struck out two hitters, while walking none. McNeese survives. They will now play... Northwestern State later on today in an elimination game. First pitch is set for 2.30. If they win that game, the Cowboys will then have to turn right back around and play another elimination game tonight, tentatively scheduled for 6 o'clock there at the Southland Conference Tournament. So we'll see who survives, who can make a run at these conference tournaments. If you're asking me right now who I think has the best chance of winning the conference tournaments, I will say none. I just, I just, they're, they're all in tough spots. They're all in tough spots. Cajuns would have to possibly beat Coastal twice. That's a tall task. LSU, you don't have Skeens. He was bad yesterday. You're going to have to go through the loser's bracket. And McNeese has to go through the loser's bracket as well. Not impossible. Not impossible. But we'll see. Once again, baseball, it's a beautiful game because it's always the great equalizer. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the poll question of the day and close out hour number one. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What will you do this Memorial Day weekend? Will you take time out to honor the fallen? Public service announcement here. A little PSA for you. Once again, it's not happy Memorial Day. Okay? Let's be clear. My grandfather was a veteran. My other grandfather was a veteran. 
fought in World War II. My brother did three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. My other brother served as well. So let me break it down. You can honor a veteran on Veterans Day. Memorial Day is for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, perished while fighting for our country. It's a time of reflection and a time to be somber. So please don't go out and tell a veteran happy Memorial Day. Let's not do that. Okay? All right. So, will you honor the fallen? Will you maybe go to the beach? Will you maybe do a family cookout? Maybe you'll watch some baseball? Right now, 31% of you say honor the fallen. 25% say other. 25% of you say family cookout. 19% say go to the beach. Get to some early comments here. JPK, the OD, always honor the fallen. Plus, it's our family reunion weekend headed up to the North Louisiana backwoods. Is JPK, the OD, going up towards like Winfield, Jonesboro area? I need to know JPK, the OD. Ton says, I'll be honoring the fallen. I always set an extra place at the table on Memorial Day. Quote, lest we forget their sacrifice. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. What will you do this Memorial Day weekend? And, of course, Memorial Day is on Monday. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout the remainder of today's edition of RP3 and Company. Hour number one, very good. Talked Eastern Conference Finals. Recapped LSU, UL, and McNeese baseball at their conference tournaments. Coming up next hour, we're going to be talking with the LSU legend, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and Pro Football Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai. That'll be at 7.30, but we'll kick off hour number two talking Houston Astros baseball and some English Premier League soccer with our guy James Yasko from the Lima Time Time Podcast. That's all next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What will you be doing this Memorial Day weekend? Will you honor the fallen? Will you go to the beach? Will you have a family cookout? Or will you do something else other? Maybe watch a little baseball. Maybe take a family trip. Maybe you sleep. Or maybe you do all of the above. Maybe you'll have a family cookout, go to the beach, and honor the fallen. I tend to find time to be able to do all of those things. Not go to the beach. No one wants to see this beach body. I'm just letting you know. I mean, look, I'm getting close to have lost 30 pounds since March 1st. I'm only a couple pounds away. Got to get there by June 1st. That's the goal. Got to lose three more pounds. And don't get me wrong, the big, bald, and beautiful one, I turn heads. But on a beach, <laughs> it's not, that's not the place. That's not the place for you, boy. I'm just saying. Coming up half an hour from right now. LSU football legend, pro football Hall of Famer, Kevin Mawai will join us, talk about his career, and then, of course, the upcoming Louisiana line camp down in Thibodeau. 
But right now, it's time for us to talk Houston Astros baseball. Things were going so well until they went to Milwaukee, and then they forgot how to hit. But they get to go to Oakland. Hey, hey, athletics. Soon to be regulated to Las Vegas. To break it all down for us and to talk a little English Premier League soccer, because that's become a new tradition for us, is the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast and a contributor to the Houston Chronicle, because they just don't know who he really is. Our good friend James Yasko joins us here. James, good morning. How are you? I'm good. For the rest of my life, I'm going to talk about how I opened for Kevin Mawai. <laughs> yes, yes. You can put that on a business card, my friend. I can, yeah, and I will. I will. <laughs> so, look, baseball is a long season, and there's always ebbs and flows to this, and the Astros have had plenty ebbs and flows to this season already. And they looked like they were just going to just run the Brewers out of their own ballpark after the first game of the series. But then they forgot how to hit back-to-back games. They were shut out. Uh, what do you make of what you saw this week from the Strohs? I mean, okay, so they, they got shut out two games in a row. That means they they went 8-2 and two in, their last, in their last 10 games. Uh, overall, you know, it, there's a lot – there's a there are a lot of positives uh to take uh still three games back of of texas for for the division lead um had a nice little win streak that was a whole lot of fun uh but it, it cannot it cannot be the Jordan show like it, it somebody somebody else is gonna have to do literally anything uh in order in order for the astros to do what they've done over the past few years he has carried the team without a doubt and you're right, other guys have to be able to step up and step up in a, a consistent manner. You get Jose Altuve back, and then he has to leave a game due to sickness, due to being ill, is what we've been told. He has, he is down with the sickness. That is that is uh, that is a fact. Down with the down with the sickness. What a reference. <laughs> only that's only one that you and I will get and some others. <laughs> but uh, when do we expect to see Jose come back? That's that's the problem with, and, and I don't I don't pay attention to the 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 PR notifications for for other for the for, for the twenty nine other baseball teams, but but the Astros treat injuries and and weird and and weirdness with the lineup. Like like it's a state secret. Like it like 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 we're like it's World War One, and you just don't want to let your enemy know that. Oh, hey, your entire army has the flu. Um, I don't know. I mean, like what what does like did he does he have the bubble guts? Like is or is it like is it something serious? We, it's the same thing with like Michael Brantley and Lance McCullers, and and it's not as though the the Astros have to tell everybody exactly what's going on that's that's their prerogative they 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 have that the the right to do that it's just it's just kind of frustrating to to not really know like what's going on like is is uh, they said Brantley and McCullers would be ready within a couple of weeks of opening day and neither one of them have played and we have no idea when they are or if they are so it, it's just kind of the 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 mo of the Astros right now is a is a little bit frustrating just from a from a fan standpoint. So who, who freaking knows? Uh, did you know, because you brought it up, I've seen Disturbed live in concert. They opened up for corn back in the day. I saw them at the UNO Lakefront Arena, bud. You're welcome. That's, 
that's that's pretty tight. I saw uh, my the one that I can match on that. I saw Cinematic open for Buck Cherry in Houston in like 1998. <laughs> Buck Cherry. Oh, I was supposed to see Buck Cherry open up for Lenny Kravitz in Pensacola, but they were too sick to perform, and instead Smash Mouth opened up for him, and that was not pleasant. Um, I, saw, I, I saw Smash Mouth open for U2 in Houston at the Astrodome, and then the worst concert I've ever been to was Pink opening for Lenny Kravitz in Nashville. <laughs> We're talking with James Yasko of the Leave It Time Time podcast. He joins us here at RP3 and Company. Kevin Mawai is Kevin Mawai is not going to drop Buck Cherry in the interview. I, let's let's just get that. Let's get let's put that on the record. Like who's who's more entertaining? Let's 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 be real. <laughs> well, we'll just keep this interview right on the rails, James. Um, <laughs> look, the Astros, and I'll I'll actually connect my first soccer question to the Astros because they uh, unveiled their gold uniforms, of course, when they won the World Series title last year, and then first game of the season. Um, I'm hearing reports that Arsenal's adding gold to their uniforms despite missing out on the Premier League title. Um, is that normal in, to do in the Premier League? And then there's nothing normal about Arsenal. Like I mean, I mean, like shout out to them. Like you know, they 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 had you know pretty good season. Kind of fumbled the bag there at the end, but everybody thought they would. But no, Arsenal doesn't need gold for anything. But but it's, that's pretty typical Arsenal. And so, you know, also, I, I got to say, I've been looking at the fixtures in the tables, I believe they call them, instead of the standings uh-huh. in the schedule. Um, it, it, it's not looking ideal for Leeds. Um, kind of the toughest matchup of the three teams involved in, in these scenarios and, and certainly uh, also the biggest hill to climb. Uh, do you have any hope here, or, or is this looking, uh, looking rough? No, no. Being a, being a Leeds fan for the better part of 30 years means that you do not ever hope. Under no circumstance should you hope. So I f- fully expect that, that Leeds will be playing Swansea on Tuesdays on ESPN+. <laughs> We're talking with James Yasko of the Leave a Time Time podcast. Uh, I, I'll ask. I'll be the one to ask. Of all the teams to root for, why did you root for Leeds? It's my... I'm, it's my dad. My dad. Uh, oh, always so blame would, it on the parents, right? I was, your own failures. So I, you blame on your folks. Come on, James. I was I was born in England, and my and, and Leeds in the mid to late seventies. They were they were on top, and so my dad was a Leeds fan, and he passed that down to me. Uh, some people get generational wealth passed down to them. I get Leeds United and heart disease. <laughs> Uh, all right, bud. Astros. Let's get back to the Houston Astros if we can, if that's okay with you. I guess, sure. <laughs> so it's the last day of school. You ask me whatever you want. <laughs> it, we have weirdness about Altuve's sickness. We have weirdness about Michael Brantley. We have weirdness about Lance McCullers Jr. I already mentioned that. Alvarez has been carrying this team. But we had an interesting discussion earlier this week, Dawson and I did. Because, you know, they still are going with essentially the six-man rotation here. And they're play, They're pitching a lot of different guys. Do you think that's what they're going to continue to do to make sure? Because the point we made was they don't want to overdo the young guys, right? They don't want to overwork Brown. They don't want to overwork J.P. France. So they're going to keep the kind of lengthy rotation, even though some of the guys may struggle they're doing that for the long term, right? I think so. Um, 
you know, I mean, because, you know, Framber Valdez is, um, he's not, well, I mean, pretty much the only one right now uh, that, I mean, Christian Javier, you know, who's who was a starter and then they moved him to the bullpen sort of out of just kind of like depth and necessity. Uh, but they're kind of building him back up as a as a starter, and it's it's it's. I mean, he's 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 pretty much there already. But but you don't have McCullers, Ortiz, Garcia, and so you you are relying on on some of those younger guys. Pitching has, with the with the exception of Rafael Montero, pitching is not the problem. It's it's all about these guys that have proven that they can hit for for a pretty long time. Bregman, Jose Abreu. That, that suddenly couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. So I, I, I think, yeah, that, that makes sense that, you know, kind of what you said about managing innings and workload and year-to-year and the, the debunked Verducci effect or whatever. But the pitching is not the problem right now for the Astros. It's all about what the heck is going on with the offense. And my apologies. I said six-man rotation. It's only a five-man rotation. My apologies uh, to you, James Jaska. I, I, I did I, I didn't even hear that. That that's fine. <laughs> Apology accepted. How much longer are we going to see Abreu out there struggling to get doubles? And, and I've, we've said I've said this before, and we've talked about this. I'm okay with letting him figure it out, but not in the five hole. Like don't like like drop drop him to seventh. I mean, Martin Maldonado has has a much better slash line uh, than Jose Abreu in the month of May. Um, like, let him figure it out, but but don't give him don't uh, let let him do it a, a maybe maybe one time fewer per game. Like like drop him in the lineup. Um, but, but who are you going to get to to fill his spot? Uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that just signed that just signed as a free agent. You know, it, it's not a a situation where you can cut him and. And you know you pay him a couple million dollars for the rest of the season just to buy out his contract. Like that—that's a pretty significant uh, financial obligation to Jose Abreu. So they're going to let him try to figure it out, but but it, they, they don't need to give him the the, the advance that he's get, he's getting. Well, James, you know with the rotation injuries and and Garcia McCullers now, it's looking like I mean again we don't it, it is kind of like getting information from the CIA, but it does seem like it's going to be farther than along than we expected when McCullers comes back and all that. Um, does that then open the opportunity not only for JP France, but do we have a Forrest Whitley sighting in in mind? Is there anyone else? Because I guess Belak, if he pitches the way he has, that's perfectly acceptable. But I just I don't have the long term confidence in him being the fifth guy in the rotation. What I'm about to say is going to shock you to your core. All right, and and I I don't know that that anyone who has paid attention to Forrest Whitley's career is is if, if you have done that, then please sit down uh, for what I'm about to say. But he was removed from the game last night with some sort of discomfort. So no, no, Forrest Whitley's a ghost. Uh, he. He really was like that's not. I mean, I've, I've made a lot of like throwaway jokes here, but like he really was like he 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 didn't make it through the third uh, in Sugarland last night with some sort of injury that the Astros aren't going to tell anybody about. So I I had thought that it might be Forrest Whitley time, but it is it is apparently not and may never be Forrest Whitley time. Last question before we get you ready for your holiday weekend and the final day of school, as you are a man who molds young minds. And puts not them today. out into not, the not world. That's not going to happen today. Today's going to be a don't piss me off day. <laughs> Is today bring in the television and put on an old school VHS type of day? 
whoever decided that graduation should be last night and then no, but you have to be, but but there are two finals today needs needs to be brought before an international war tribunal. What have you already planned out your first Astros game to go to in person? I know you don't live right in Houston, so you have to make a commitment to go make it a weekend or whatever like that. Has you and Mrs. Yasko figured out when you're going to be attending your first Astros game in person this season? No, but but that will happen. Like everything, everything for the past two months has been like get through today, uh, and then we'll figure everything out everything out later. So I'm awfully glad that that Leeds United doesn't play tomorrow because th- there's a chance I'm not getting out of bed at all tomorrow. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, brother. We'll talk to you next Friday. Well, easily one of the, my favorite half hours of the last three months. That was that was extremely fun. Tell Kevin Moai I said hi, please. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Good stuff there with our buddy James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, Houston Chronicle contributor. We talked some Astros. We also talked late 90s, early 2000s concerts and uh, some English Premier League soccer. We covered the gambit, as they like to say. Coming up, less than 10 minutes from right now, Kevin Mawai. LSU football legend, Pro Football Hall of Famer, will join us talking his career as well as the Louisiana line camp, which is coming up next month down in Thibodeau. So you got to make sure to stay tuned for that. We spent the majority of today's show so far talking Eastern Conference Finals. Boston Celtics stave off elimination yet again, playing to their potential, outplaying the Miami Heat. Now they only trail three games to two in that series as the series will shift back for game six, back to Miami. Can the Heat close things out and move on to the NBA Finals to take on the Denver Nuggets? Or can Boston continue to play at its potential and play like it should be playing as a legitimate world title contender? We also recapped all the action on the diamond yesterday for LSU, UL, and of course McNeese. Start off with LSU. Tigers through possibly the country's best pitcher yesterday. And he was not good. Got roughed up a little bit. And they end up losing the game to Arkansas. Credit Arkansas's pitchers for striking out the LSU lineup 17 times. It's an enormous number. But the big takeaway for me is this. In two games at the SEC tournament, three relief pitchers have pitched very well. That's what you need. You're not concerned with winning the SEC tournament, even though the players may want to win the SEC tournament. You're concerned with having enough pitching 
to win a regional, a super regional, and then make a run in Omaha. That's the ultimate goal if you're an LSU baseball fan. And what you've seen in the first two days of play for LSU were guys that have been not only riding the struggle bus, but have driven that struggle bus right off a cliff for the bullpen this year. They have pitched well. That's a good sign. That's what you want to see. They can maybe build some momentum now heading into next week's NCAA Regional and then the Supers after that and then, of course, the College World Series after that. If these guys can just be average, just average, LSU has all the components to win a national championship. They do. They'll get back to action today in an elimination game there at the Met in Hoover as they'll take on Texas A&M. That game will be this afternoon. Pre-game will begin at 2.30. First pitch, 3 o'clock, LSU versus Texas A&M. And, of course, you can listen to it right here on the game. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they took on the Angry Sea Roosters slash Beach Chickens. And Coastal Carolina got the better of them. Hit a couple of home run blasts. Hit a couple of home run blasts and kept the Cajuns off balance there at the plate. And the Cajuns fall. And here's the problem for Matt Degg's team. Today, they're going to face off against Texas State, a team they clearly match up really well with. Because Texas State is a very good ball club fighting to be an at-large berth for the NCAA tournament. But the Cajuns swept them during the regular season, and then the Cajuns took them out the other day. So now you got to beat a team five times in a period of, what, three weeks? But I still like the Cajuns today because they match up so well with Texas State. It's just a bad matchup for the Bobcats. Sometimes that happens, where a team just has your number. It just comes down to matchups sometimes. But it should be a dogfight of a game because the Bobcats are fighting for the NCAA tournament lives because they're in the same boat as the Cajuns. We talked about it before. Coastal, Carolina, Southern Miss, Troy are going to be in for for NCAA regional appearances. That's how it's going to go down. Whether or not the Sun Belt gets a fourth team is going to depend on Texas State or UL and who can make a deeper run. And the loser of tonight's game is effectively eliminated. The winner Correct. is still in wait-and-see mode, but the loser of this game is, is certainly not going to regionals. Correct. That will essentially close the book on them. That's how that's going to work. So we'll see what Matt Deggs' team can do tonight when they take on Texas State. McNeese, after losing a marathon 14-inning game to Nichols, the number one seed, They faced an elimination game yesterday as well. And they shut out the number two seed incarnate word three to nothing. And for Justin Hill's team, by the way, Justin Hill, who got career win number 300 to open up the Southern Conference Tournament back on Tuesday. He talked about, you know what? For them, postseason baseball and being able to make a run hinges so much on how good, how stellar your defense is out there on the field. 
Yeah, I mean, the best thing about it is, you know, the, the innings have been small. You've had single run innings three different times. Um, and the def again, it goes back to the defense being good. Um, so we've made some really good plays in the outfield. We threw a guy out of the plate, made some double plays. Uh, so it's a lot of team stuff that's been going on. We had, had big two out hits, a lot of different things going on. So the guys kind of, you know, they've been working at it, you know, but as you get start to get deeper in the, in the tournament and you start to catch some momentum, this is just what postseason baseball is about. So it's fun. Uh, it's good to still be alive, it's, and it's uh, definitely going to be good to take a nap. Next up for McNeese, another elimination game. They'll take on Northwestern State. Today at 2.30. If they win that game, by the way, the Demons, sorry, Jamie, they fell to UNO 4-3 last night. So the Privateers are in the winner's bracket while the Demons fall to the loser's bracket and will be in an elimination game against the Cowboys. Once again, sorry, Jamie. If they beat NSU, who, by the way, they lost 2-3 of three to in the final Southern Conference Series of the regular season for McNeese. If they win that game, then they'll have to turn around and they'll have to face the loser of UNO Nichols in an elimination game tonight. So what's the game plan for Justin Hill's team heading into today's game? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is, is you know, kind of seeing how, how some guys are feeling. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a good chance you'll see Burrell uh, probably start one of those, start that game. We've got to play two tomorrow if we're going to win them both. Um, and it's really about seeing who's who's healthy and who's how, how some guys feel. Um, so guys probably had a little bit of adrenaline today, probably still some um, some adrenaline still left over from last night. So uh, we'll see. And after the guys get some rest and get in here tomorrow, we'll have a little bit better idea picture. But uh, Burrell's fresh, and uh, so we'll probably – so there you go. They got to win too. They have the talent to do it. Let's see if the Cowboys can make it happen. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. What you're going to do this Memorial Day weekend. Honor the fallen. Go to the beach. Have a family cookout or other. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Coming up after the timeout, Kevin Mawai, Pro Football Hall of Famer, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We've been privileged on this show to be able to speak to sports legends from time to time. And today, well, it's going to be no exception here as well. Because our next guest has accomplished so much in the realm of football, and he's done so much more off the field as well. He was an All-State player for the Leesville High Wampus Cats before going on to a storied career for the LSU Tigers, where he would play multiple positions across the offensive line, earning two-time All-SEC honors, and is considered on the Mount Rushmore all-time of offensive linemen in Tiger history. He would go on to be a second-round draft pick in the 1994 NFL Draft, and he would play 16 seasons in the National Football League, playing in 241 games for the Seattle Seahawks, New York Jets, and Tennessee Titans. He was a seven-time first-team All-Pro selection, an eight-time Pro Bowler, named to the NFL 
all-decade team for the 2000s. And since he retired from the game, he's been inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, the LSU Sports Hall of Fame, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio in 2019. He's also been a volunteer coach for the Louisiana Line Camp for many years. It's our privilege to welcome to the program Kevin Mawai. Kevin, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Well, appreciate you making the time, man. Look, we'll get to what you're doing with the Louisiana Line Camp, which obviously will be kicking off in June, June 17th through the 20th, and we'll get to how beneficial that is for young men, not only across the state of Louisiana, but across the entire country. But let's go back. Those days where you're bebopping around not only the country but the world as a military brat, you settled down there in Leesville as your dad was stationed there at Fort Polk. Did you ever think back then when you were playing ball for the Wampus Cats that you would go on to be one of the greatest offensive linemen in football history? Oh, not not ever. I mean, I just, you know, I just wanted to play ball and have fun doing it. Now, I wanted to make it to the NFL. It was my goal, my dream, but I never once thought about, like, I want to be a Hall of Famer. I want to be the greatest that ever did this. And um, my goal is just to be the best that I could possibly be and let the chips fall where they may. And, and my goal was to play 10 years in the league, and whatever happened after that was bonus years. And so I always tell people I got, I got six bonus years, and then just fortunate enough that you know God blessed me with talent and had favor on my career that I ended up, you know, you know getting a gold jacket. And so I, I'm, I'm trying to be humble about it. Um, it wasn't something I chased. It was just I just wanted to chase being the best I could be. And, I, and you know, I, and I always tell kids that if you do that, then good things will happen to you. And, uh, and they definitely happened for me in that way. With you moving around so much, you didn't necessarily have a loyalty to any college program, I would assume. So what made you decide to go to LSU? Well, I, you know, growing up, and I really started watching football when I was younger. We lived in Germany and and you got college Saturdays, and you only got, like, the big games. or like maybe Notre Dame and a rivalry game, uh, Alabama-Penn State. You get Michigan, you know, Notre Dame, you know, whatever, some of those games. And never had I ever even heard of LSU until we moved to Louisiana. And then, you know, you know my freshman year at Leesville, Eddie Fuller ended up going there. So that's when I started really following LSU. And uh, so, yeah, so it wasn't it. I, I, I hate to say the school that I wanted to go to early on when I was younger um, because they are direct rivals of, of LSU's. But uh, I, I grew up, you know, everybody knew about Bear Bryant. And, you know, I, I always watched the Penn State-Alabama game. And, and I was like, man, I'd be great to play at Alabama. And then, of course, LSU comes into the picture. And, and I remember being at a game. It was an LSU-Auburn uh, game, the earthquake game where Eddie Fuller and Liesel caught the, the game-tying touchdown. And I was like, I was sold. That's it. I'm going to LSU. But uh, a little-known story. Prior to that game, I was sitting in the recruiting room, and there was another guy sitting across the table from me. We were eating dinner before the game, and it happened to be uh, a guy by the name of Toby Shields. I asked him, hey, what position do you play? He goes, play, because I play center. I said, where do you go from? He goes, Alabama. So how about you go to Alabama, I go to LSU, we call this thing done. And, uh, and that's really exactly what happened. He went to Alabama, <laughs> and I went to LSU. And, uh, you know, we'd see each other before the game, stuff like that. And, um, of course, they went on to have, you know, the longest winning streak in the history of the school or whatever. And, and we went on to have not so much success at LSU. But, um, but yeah, it's like I didn't know about LSU until I was like a 
sophomore or freshman in high school, and then that's when I started watching the games and really drawing an interest to it. And by the time I graduated, you know, Vincent uh, Fuller was there, Raymond Smoot was there, uh, and, and I learned about LSU's history. And, and you know, they come off two SEC championships, and so I was all in, man, and uh, never looked back. You never looked back, and when you were there at LSU, you made an instant impact, and you know you played for four seasons. There was one season in particular where you played like three or four different positions. You started everywhere across the offensive line. How much did that experience, playing in the SEC, being an all-SEC performer, and having to do it at multiple positions, made you better prepared for what you were able to do in your pro career, Kevin? Well, yeah, definitely. I came to LSU as a center, ended up playing left tackle, played left guard, and, you know, whatever. And, and so what it allowed me to do is, is play all the spots, but to see that position, O-line position, from different perspectives, um, I was athletic enough that I could do all three of them, or, you know, played three three or four spots. And it, it added value to me as I went into the NFL. Um, you know, I went in as a center, ended up starting for two seasons at right guard. I started deep snapping for punts and field goals in high school. I did that at LSU and – it brought value to me as an NFL player where I ended up doing it a few, couple, three seasons because of injuries to our long snapper. And so just all of that, though, and it didn't matter to me. I wanted to play. And I would play, you know, I mean, you go tell me to play some position I didn't know. I'd go do it and I'd figure out a way because I just love being on the field. And my goal was to always be on the field. Um, and if I was going to dress, then you have no choice but to play me. And that's kind of my mentality about it. It didn't matter what position as long as I was playing ball. And uh, and that's what the way I approached the game my entire career. You have a great career at LSU. You guys didn't have a ton of success during that run, but you were sensational. And NFL teams took notice, and you were selected in the second round of the 1994 NFL Draft. What was your mindset early on in your career, Kevin, when you're a rookie and you get drafted in the second round? Are you just thinking, hey, I just need to do whatever I can to make it to the next contract, or I just need to do whatever I can to make sure I stay in the league? Did you have any aspirations of nearly playing in the NFL for 20 years? No. I, you know, my goal when I got in, like once I got drafted in the second round, like it's only a matter of time before I start. I mean, you don't get drafted in the first or second round if they plan on putting you on the bench now. I went into camp. I was the third center in camp. I was the third guard. You know, I wasn't even at guard. I, I mean, I took reps, and then because of injuries my rookie year, uh, you know, one of our, our starting guard had a uh, career-ending injury during training camp. I got bumped over to play backup guard. And then week four of that season, my rookie year, the guy that was in front of me, he blew his back out, ended his career, and I found myself starting the next two seasons at right guard. And so while I was playing right guard, I, was, I became the, the backup center. So I would play right guard during the week. During scout team, I'd take all the reps to center. And it was just a matter of time. But I knew when I got to the NFL, like, the same mentality uh, followed me to the NFL. If I'm going to be on the team, I'm going to play. You're going to have to play me because I'm going to make myself that valuable. And, and I did. I mean, God, like I said, God gave me talent, and, uh, and then I had the desire to – to just hone that talent, that skill, and um, but once I was given the starting job, I held on to it like a vice grip. I wasn't going to give it up, and I didn't. And um, ended up having a great career. Like I said, my goal was ten years. Everything was bonus after that. Financially, I wasn't thinking about you know, it just wasn't my thought. You know, I did get to a second contract was never a big deal. It was just just ride it out as long as I can. Um, fortunately, I had not just two contracts, but I ended up with four contracts. 
that got me through the end of my career. And, and um, as I got older and matured and understood more about the finances of it, my goal was to, to, get, to be able to leave the game and live a lifestyle that's comfortable for me and my family without ever having to work again if I didn't want to. And I achieved that goal. So, um, yeah, so that being said, you know, I get to pick and choose what I want to do, and I can be very purposeful in what I do. We're talking with Kevin Mawai, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest offensive linemen in Louisiana's state history. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Kevin, you were a seven-time first-team All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, named to the NFL's All-Decade team for the 2000s. What does it take to be able to not only play offensive line in the NFL, but to be one of the best, most dominant offensive linemen in the league? Does it take a bit of nastiness? Does it take a bit of an edge to be able to be on that level? Hey, it does. I think it, it really does. I think you know you got to be willing to push yourself further than what what you think you're capable of doing. I think part of it is is being reliable and being available. Um, you know, a lot of guys. You know, they couldn't play through the pain that I played through or play through injuries that, that weren't debilitating but just was uncomfortable. And, and you know, and, and I learned this phrase after I've retired and stuff, but everything good comes on the other side of hard. And and so if you're not willing to go through the hard things, you're not going to experience the, the fruit of that labor. And, and for me, I was willing to do it. I was willing to do what it takes. I was willing to do what other guys weren't willing to do so that I can get what other guys didn't want. And, um, and that meant everything. That meant making sure I was playing. If I, was, if I could walk and I wasn't going to structurally damage my body anymore, I was going to do it. If I had to play a different position, I would do it. I would find a way. If I, you know, if I had to gain weight, I would gain weight. If I, had to lose, I just did what it took. And then for me, the love of the game, trumped everything else i mean god gave me the talent but the passion i had was something that i learned as i grew up and as when i first started playing ball and and i just and then i had a demeanor that i just felt like i was the best guy on the field whether that's true or not i stepped on the field and my heart believed that everybody in that stand was over there to watch me play and when you play for for like with that kind of a purpose it, it's just it's a different level and uh, there's many people i played against would say they hated playing against me I did play with the edge. I played to the echo of the whistle. I took shots when I had the ability to, and, and I didn't care. You know, I, I mean, if I can hit you as hard as I can knock you out of the game, so be it. It, it is what it is. Um, but, I, you know, just guys didn't play the way I did, and that's what set me apart. Uh, I was an undersized offensive lineman playing the biggest position on the field as far as, like, size-wise goes, and, and I took, you know, I didn't take anything from anybody. I dished it out more than I took it. And, um, and didn't care what anybody thought about me doing it. we got to take a time out, but more with Pro Football Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai coming up right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We're wrapping up our conversation with Pro Football Hall of Famer, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and LSU legend Kevin Mawai. He joins us once again. Who was the toughest, meanest guy that you had to go up against in the trenches? Uh, I, 
well, I'd say the best defensive lineman I ever played against is John Randall, uh, New England, not New England, but Minnesota Vikings. Uh, a guy I hated playing against the most was Richard Seymour, who played for the University of Georgia and then was drafted as a first rounder by the New England Patriots, and he has since been inducted into the Hall of Fame. But he's the one guy I hated playing against. I mean, I, he he played the, the game about as nasty as I played it, and it just it was a it was a grudge match every time we played against each other. But and I told him that I so like I hated playing against you. Of all the people I played against, you're the one guy I hated playing against. And uh, but you know he deserved the old jacket too because he was that guy kind of guy. Of course, he took that as an immense compliment. Anyone that plays in the trenches does when you have that kind of reputation. A lot of guys felt the same way about you, I would assume, Kevin. Uh, let me ask you that. You know, all this time spent playing across the offensive line, you're a teacher now, you're a coach, you help out with the Louisiana Lion Camp. What's the one thing that you see nowadays with these kids coming up who are so big and so physically gifted that you see and you go, hey, you got to make sure to work on this. Maybe something that you were taught that maybe isn't getting taught as much, if especially if they don't come to the Louisiana line camp. Yeah, I think in, just in general, more than anything than ever before, everybody is paying private trainers and private workout guys, stuff like that. And what kids don't do nowadays that we all did growing up is just go outside and play. Play every sport, go play everything, go play street ball, go play football in the background, go pitch. Kids just don't do that anymore. Rather, their parents will spend you know a few hundred dollars a week for them to go train individually with a private trainer. And you know, what happens is they think they become very specialized in what they're capable of doing versus just being an athlete. And so that's the one big thing. Now, for me as a player, because I was a smaller offensive lineman, I had to pride myself on my technique and my fundamentals. And that's something that was grounded into me early on in college by, by Coach Kenny Farrow, who was one of the co-founders of the Louisiana line camp, and, and taught me very early that you know playing offensive line at a very effective level started from the feet and from the ground up. And he always said the offensive line play is based on a, t- a thousand tiny steps. And all that meant was that your footwork goes first and then you work your way up, footwork, hat placement, hand placement, things like that. And that's what I that's what I built my entire career off of. And I was fortunate that I had four offensive line coaches in the NFL that taught similar techniques and things like that. And then as I got older, I kind of developed my own type of style of play. But what the Louisiana Line Camp does is actually, especially for the offensive line side, is teach fundamental basics, ABCs. We start with our you know, stance and your start coming off the ball. We start. We talk about where your hands got to be in certain blocks. How your hat placement is important. Your feet follow your hat and your eyes, and and so that's what the Louisiana Line Camp is. is why it's so such a, an important camp. It's not like an like not like the Nike Camp or Under Armour Camp or the competition camps where you're doing one on one and workout gear. It's like you're doing O line work or you're doing defensive work. And that's it. And you're not competing against each other. I and mean, really, the biggest competition you have in that camp is the competition against yourself to get through that drill to the next one, to get to the next practice. And by the time you get to practice three on the same day, you start really questioning yourself if you really want to be this guy. And, and I think that it develops some toughness in you that, that some kids just don't, aren't willing to do. 
We'll wrap it up with this, Kevin. You've been associated with the Louisiana Line Camp for so long now, a decade into it. And once again, it's returning June 17th through the 20th there at Nichols State University in Thibodeau. For people that want more information, you can simply go visit www.louisianalinecamp.com. That's www.louisianalinecamp.com. For those who are out there listening right now, brother, and parents of young men who are her linemen, why should they go to that website, visit it, and sign up for this year's camp? Yeah, if you want your kid, your your young man, to be better at his position, both offensive in the trenches and in the front box, really, because they do linebackers on the defensive side, or an offensive lineman, you know, spend your money on this camp. Because what it does is you are surrounded by a lot of great high school coaches from across the southeast, some small college coaches and NFL guys that know how to play and coach this position. And it's, it's hands-on coaching. It's not, 30, it's not 30 kids in a group running through agility drills. It is, is getting three day, three practices a day of hands-on coaching by some of the top coaches in the state, uh, a film session in the afternoon, kind of going through techniques, showing players that have done it at the highest level, doing the exact same stuff that we're teaching at this camp. And, and the coaches are excellent coaches. The coaches are vetted. I know by Pete Jenkins on the defensive side and on our side by myself and Coach Rod and Coach Lee Roussel, who's now the head coach at Riverside Academy. And, uh, and our goal is to make sure we have top-notch coaches. Um, this isn't just a money. It's not a money-making camp for anybody by any stretch. It's to help the kids that come to this camp to be better players and be the best version and best football players that they can be. Kevin, always appreciate your time, brother. You're so gracious with us. Best of luck with the Louisiana Line Camp uh, coming up next month there in Thibodeau. And hope you and your family have a tremendous summer, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Have a great one. That's going to do it for hour number two here of RP3 and Company. Hour number three coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the final hour of today's RP3 and Company has arrived, which means it's the final hour of the week as we gear up for the holiday weekend. Coming up half an hour from right now, Jake Madison from the Locked On Pelicans and the Locked On NBA podcast will join us. We'll talk NBA playoffs and get a little couple Pelicans questions in. Also coming up in about 20 minutes from right now, Our guy Chris Smith from Lafayette Marvel on Granite will be joining us. Going to chop it up, talk about the latest deals they have going on over there. Hey, you want to get that man cave right for the fall? Uh, You need to pay attention to what Chris has to say coming up here in about 15 minutes from right now. LSU baseball suffers a loss yesterday at the SEC tournament there at the Met in Hoover. Paul Skeens had an off day. Wasn't good. Bullpen, though, was. And if you're an LSU fan this morning, as much as you may want the Tigers to win the SEC tournament, 
what you've seen from the bullpen, three guys have really stepped up during this tournament, and that should be encouraging to you if you're a LSU baseball fan. Because the bullpen, the relief pitching has been suspect, has been bad for most of the season. And to see Thatcher Hurd pitch the way he did as a starter the other day to eat up innings, to see what you saw out of Cooper last night, is wildly encouraging. Because if you can get those guys just to be okay, just to get them to be just okay, a little above average, you could win a national championship. Because you're not going to have another poor performance from Paul Skeens. The guy's the best pitcher in America. He had an off day yesterday. Is that going to happen again? Probably not. But the Achilles heel for these Tigers has been all season the bullpen, the relief pitching. Very encouraging what we're seeing from the Tigers over in Hoover. Very encouraging. And that could play off in a big way for regional time next week, Super Regionals after that, and then after that, hopefully, Omaha for the College World Series. Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they took on Coastal Carolina. The Angry Sea Roosters, a.k.a. Beach Chickens. And Coastal got a couple of home runs. They went after them. They got the win. They're the number one seed. So now for the Raging Cajuns, their backs are up against the wall. And today, they'll have to take on the Texas State Bobcats, a team they literally played just a few days ago in the tournament and played just a few weeks earlier in the final home regular season series. And they've won four of those games. And there's only been four of them. Yep. They'll go five for five today. Vermilion color glasses on a Friday. You ready for them? Ooh. If Give you're them to able, me. If, look, if you're able to get past Texas State, which is not going to be easy. Again, I expect it to be Zeke Wood, who has thrown a lot of meaningful innings for Texas State. He didn't have probably the season he was uh, envisioning here this year, but he's thrown a lot of meaningful games. So you're going to get a veteran guy you're going to have to beat. But if you're able to get past Texas State, the broadcast did confirm last night, because I remember I had heard it the first night, that, te- that Coastal's top two starting pitching options are out right now. So if you're able to get past Texas State, you're going to be facing guys that Coastal probably didn't envision throwing in conference tournament action. And if you're able to score against them, which I think you will be able to, now it will probably have to be a couple of high-scoring games that Kevin Foote will hate. You'll probably have to do it 10-8, to 14-11 type games. But I think if you're able to get, it all starts with tonight, getting past the Bobcats. But if you're able to do so, I don't think beating Coastal twice is as impossible as it may have seemed if they had all their arms fresh and healthy. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And look, they didn't play all that well last night against them, but they played well in the series at the Teague, and they could have won that series. Plus, if you're the Cajuns, you're put in this position now that – you have to win today, and then you're going to have to beat Coastal twice to have a chance to get into an NCAA regional. Coastal Carolina is going to be a host site, and more than likely, they're going to flirt with being a national seed. Southern Miss is probably going to host as well. Maybe not be a national seed. And then Troy will get in as an at-large. I feel confident stating that. 
Then it's Texas State and Louisiana battling it out to try to be the fourth team out of the Sunbelt Conference to try to get into a regional. The loser of today's game will be eliminated from that conversation. The winner will still have an opportunity. Now, could beating Texas State a fifth time and then turning around and saying just beating Coastal once on Saturday, would that be enough to maybe sneak in if you're the Cajuns? You'd be right there. Ooh, I, I think be... you'd be in the first four out or maybe even a little past that. Again, it also kind of goes down to what you're thinking of what D1 Baseball has to say, which I pretty much trust their judgment a lot of times. They Kendall know Rogers doing. knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. They are higher on the Cajuns than anyone else. Let's say the RPI or, yeah, some of the other projections. I don't think, if you, if you think about it this way, what that in turn would be if you beat Texas State once, beat Coastal once, lose to them, it would be two more wins against Texas State, which is nice, but then it would be essentially another series loss to Coastal, right? Two out of three times you'd lose to them in this tournament. Correct. I don't know if that puts you over the hump as far as being an at-large team. So, but it I also think you got to get to the championship game. Then I think you. No, but look, if you if you beat Texas State, beat Coastal twice, and then let's say lose to Southern Miss in the title game, I think there you have an opportunity. You could mm. potentially be an at-large team. You'd feel a lot more confident about that. Plus, it also depends on what else happens. You know, if you have some of these teams that have great RPIs that look like they're a lock for a regional but don't win their conference oh, tournament, absolutely. get upset along the way, and a team that comes from outside the top 50 in to win the conference tournament to take that automatic qualifier, well, then that and, hurts the case. And I've already seen this conversation just in the American Athletic Conference. East Carolina is the only team that's guaranteed to be in a regional over there, and they've already lost their first game of the American tournament, Tulane who has been horrible this season, one of the worst seasons in Tulane's program history. History, yes. They're 2-0 and sitting in the winner's bracket. If a team like Tulane wins that has not even a conversation, or actually really anyone in the American that's not East Carolina wins that tournament, that's, all, that's a bid stolen. You talk about stolen bids. Yeah. There's going to be other opportunities for stuff like that to happen, yes. So that's what's facing the Cajuns. LSU facing elimination today. They'll take on Texas A&M there at the Met. Once again, pregame will begin at 2.30. First pitch, 3 o'clock. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. UL will be taking on Texas State. That'll happen this evening over in Montgomery. A little bit closer to home, the McNeese Cowboys. They were in an elimination game yesterday there at Joe Miller Ballpark, and they went out there and eliminated the number two seed, Incarnate Word. Shut them out 3-0. Now they'll have to face Northwestern State, a team they dropped two of three to on the road up in Natchitoches to wrap up the regular season for them in conference play. UNO is in the winner's bracket taking on Nichols. If McNeese, which by the way has all of a sudden found pitching this South End Conference tournament, remember we've talked about them struggling with pitching all season behind Rodgers. They've had some injuries. That's played a role in that. But they've struggled to find other guys to be able to step up for them. They just have. And it's cost them. Well, McNeese's ERA in this tournament, in three games, two of them wins, and the other one a 14-inning loss to the top seed, their ERA in the tournament is 0.85. You pitch like that? And by the way, two of those games, they didn't even throw their star. You pitch like that, you're going to give yourself a great opportunity. Now, they'll have to take on Northwestern State this afternoon. 
If they win that game, then they will face the loser of Nichols versus UNO in another elimination game starting tentatively at 6 o'clock there at the Joe. So Justin Hill's team has his work cut out for him. But we've said all along, this team has the talent to be the best team in the conference. And the conference is wide open. You get another strong pitching performance. Step it up at the plate. You can make some th- something special happen this weekend. So LSU, UL, and McNeese all have their backs against the wall, so to speak, having to be dropped down into the loser's bracket portions of their conference tournaments. Of course, you can follow all along, not only, not only listening to the LSU game this afternoon, but reading our stories on LSU, UL, and McNeese. You can catch those at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We also touched on this morning, NBA playoffs. Boston Celtics played to their potential last night. They win game five in Boston. Everyone contributed. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. They looked like an actual world title contender. And Miami obviously was without Vincent, another one of their guys. So that played a role. Jimmy Butler was not very good last night offensively. Miami had an off night. And Boston took advantage of it. They also shot the three ball well. The Celtics did last night. So now this is a series. But Miami still leads it three games to two. And remember, they jumped out to a 3-0 lead in this series. So, I still like Miami to win game six back in Miami. But if Boston plays to its potential, which is something we've been discussing for almost a month and a half now, we just don't see it consistently. Do you believe that Boston can... They've played two very good games. Do we believe they can play two more in a row? Do we believe they can play four consistent games in a row where they play to their potential. Because if they do that, they will win the series after being down 3-0. But Boston hasn't shown you in nearly two months that they can string together four games like that in a row. They just haven't. So that's what gives me trepidation. Even though Boston is the better team, Boston is the more talented team. They're not the better coach team. They're the more talented team. Can they actually put it together? And that's the big great question mark for the Celtics. Can they put it together? Because they haven't proven that they can. Not consistently. So we'll see what happens this weekend. But if you if you ask me, if you put me in a pressure situation here and go RP3, what do you think is going to happen when you and D'Lo get back on the air next Tuesday? What will the NBA Finals be looking like? Will it be Denver versus Boston or Denver versus Miami? I think it's going to be Denver versus Miami. That's what I think is going to happen. But once again, the wild card in this is You never do know which Boston Celtics team is going to show up. You just don't. If I had to put you on the spot, D'Lo, producer extraordinaire, who of course joins me inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, as he does every weekday morning from 6 to 9. 
We talked about it earlier. When we get back on the air on Tuesday, who's going to be in the NBA Finals facing off against the Denver Nuggets? I, I really I really don't know if I've ever been more split on a decision. Like I really think Boston right now, what I saw in the last two games, because it was it was both ends. They played well enough defensively. They certainly made their shots. I I guess the reason I'll go Miami is because I don't think Boston will shoot at the rate that they have in both of those games, especially you think about game six in Miami. It's going to be difficult for them to be able to make those, that number of shots. It's also interesting, though, like you've got an opportunity for one or the other here, Jason Tatum or, or Jimmy Butler, to really add a notch to the, you know, I don't know if we're calling it legacy at this point, but certainly a chance to go up a tier, right, in how we think of them. And I, I'm not to say Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum aren't already in that top type of, you know, category, but I think you know what I'm referencing here of that top tier of guys that you think of immediately, which right now, for me, you think of guys like Jokic, Embiid. Uh, like, that's the first two that come to mind for Giannis. me right now with the way they're playing. Yeah, of course, Giannis as well. Um, I don't know if Jason Tatum is in that tier or not. He's not for me. He may be for some. And Jimmy Butler certainly wasn't before he put this run together. But you climb the mountaintop and get back to the NBA Finals. Both of those guys have been there before, by the way. Um, and both of those guys didn't have it go the way they wanted to, right? So one of them's going to have another mm -hmm. opportunity. And um, I think, obviously, Jason's got the better supporting cast. But as we've seen, uh, Jimmy's maybe got the better coach. He's got, there's no question he's got the yeah, better coach. He's, he's certainly got the better coach and maybe has uh, – you know, he certainly got the advantage, right, as far as a full game in this series. But Correct. I don't know. I've re I'm really tough, but I'll go Miami just because I don't think Boston can knock that many threes down in both of these last two games. I just don't believe they can be that consistent for four straight games because they just haven't shown me that they can be. Poll question of the day. What will you do this Memorial Day weekend? Will you honor the fallen? Will you go to the beach? Will you have a family cookout or maybe other? Maybe you uh, Check out a baseball game or something like that. Right now, 33% of you say other. 29% say honor the fallen. 19% say go to the beach. 19% say family cookout. Let's get to some comments. I'll be cooking out and honoring the fallen. Also, Arsenal fan here looking forward to a Leeds update. <laughs> That's courtesy of Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, who now gets to enjoy his summer as the school year has come to an you end. You asked Jamie why Arsenal put gold on their uniforms despite not winning the Premier League title this year. Yes, Jamie, comment on the poll question. Why did Arsenal put gold on their unis when they did not win the title? We'd like to know from you. Salty Steve says, let's all be safe and responsible while celebrating with family and those who have made the ultimate sacrifice so we can live free. Happy Memorial Day weekend. God bless the USA. No Salt Friday. And Robert says, as a vet, I will honor the fallen. God bless the USA. And John Paul Cajun Daddy says, we will definitely be honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice by spending time with family and friends, as well as cranking up the pellet grill. There's no better way to cook. And Brody just says, I'm going to watch the lacrosse national championship. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Chris Smith, owner-operator of Lafayette Marble and Granite, will join us. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, but just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. You often hear me tell you about the great deals and tremendous services my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite have to offer. doesn't matter if you're doing a master bathroom renovation like we did a few years ago. Maybe you're planning on doing a kitchen remodel for the wife, or maybe it's time to step up that man cave of yours. LMG has got you covered. And to talk more about the great deals that they have going on right now is the owner-operator of Lafayette Marble and Granite. Our good friend Chris Smith joins us here. Chris, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Doing great, Ray. Nice to uh, be here in the studio, and thanks so much for having me on. Well, let's talk uh, about this promotion that you guys have been doing. We've been talking a lot about it on the air here on the show. Just tell us a little bit about the reaction and what people can expect if they stop by y'all's showroom right there on I-49 North across from the Jockey Lot and Hub City Ford, and what they can expect if they go visit y'all's website. Yeah, Ray, we were excited to start it off, and the uh, the people are just so excited about it as well, uh, just getting a good value. We've got different upgrades from uh, multiple colors to tile look, shower walls that we're doing right now. Had no extra cost. Typically, they'd be an upgrade, but as of right now, with our May showers, and now we're making it a spring showers promotion, uh, since we're going to be extending it, uh, to give some more people the opportunity to come in, get them a custom-made, beautiful shower with no maintenance, um, without any extra costs. You know, one of the things that we talk about uh, when we discuss what you guys are doing over there and you and I have discussed uh, in in private as well is this this new cultured marble that you guys are doing in that, you know, it's not, we make the joke, it's not your, your, your you know, your grandma's or your mama's old-fashioned cultured marble. This is something new. It's high-end. It's stylish. Tell the folks a little bit more about that. So culture marbles come a long way, just like anything. With technology, everything advances and, and evolves. Uh, the way that the consumers want, uh, everything kind of goes with the trends. Right now, we've got a lot of culture marble that looks like natural sheets of stone. Uh, we've got some that have mimics of the tile look. Um, we're saying we want to live grout free. Nobody likes to have the maintenance of grout, all the headache, getting in there with your toothbrush, trying to clean everything up. Uh, they want a nice, classy, high-end, uh, good maintenance and last forever cultured marble. Uh, most people know, like I said, your mama's cultured marble. You've seen the old colors. But the thing is, 30 years later, it's still there in good function. You're just taking it out because you don't like the color. It's not that the product can fail. So now we've got some things that look really luxurious, uh, can be completely customizable. We do all the production in-house. Um, you should just come in and see. The, uh, the colors that we offer are just astounding. You can't tell the difference between the walls that we have here or um, that we produce and the walls that are outside in sheets of, of natural stone. It's very indistinguishable, but the maintenance on everything is so much better on the cultured marble. 
I also want to touch on something that I was surprised by and, and found out firsthand by uh, meeting with you over um, there at your place was these customizable pet showers. This is a thing I've seen it sometimes on HGTV on some of those shows where, you know, a couple years ago it was the custom mudroom. Now that mudroom or laundry room also has customizable pet showers. And, and that's something that you guys do. I was surprised by I didn't know all that much about it, but then I saw it and then I showed pictures of it to my wife and she goes, well, we need to maybe get one of those. So uh, I want to personally thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> but no, it's it's really, uh, really cool. And I, when I first glanced at it, I thought it was an actual just a, a, a tub or a shower for a child. This is how high end quality the kind of stuff that you guys are doing over there. Yeah, right. Right now we're doing things that uh, people dream of, right? Who wants to wash their their pet in their shower, have to deal with all the dirt and everything else? So we've been doing smaller utility-style showers for pets, um, even on the other side, which is the granite and quartz side, uh, making custom uh, pet bowls, just different things to to make it a lot more convenient, um, just a lot more customized for everyone. it's just kind of the thing of the future. Uh, that's why we've gone to these culture marble looks that look so natural and have no maintenance uh, across the board. It's just a better product, um, way more long lasting, better o- overall with no kind of sealing or anything else that's ever required. Uh, just something that most people really are aspiring to get to. So people are looking forward to these upgraded little areas. Nobody likes to take their pet into their own shower, own tub, and then have to worry about cleaning up afterwards, especially if you have something that's going to splash around with all their dirt, grime, just all that outside mess gets into grout. These are going to be no maintenance, no sealer, just good to the end, customizable areas that are just stunning to look at. We're talking with Chris Smith, the owner-operator of Lafayette Marble and Granite. Make sure to go check out their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to find out about the latest things they have going on, the great products, the tremendous services. It's all right there, once again, at lmgelite.com. Before I let you go, brother, we've talked about this in the past. You know, a lot of guys may want to beef up that man cave, right? May want to help out their outdoor living space because football is coming in the fall and they want to be able to entertain and entertain in style. I am correct in saying, and I'm going to let you grab the microphone here, that now would be the time if you want to try to do that for the fall and have your spot be what it needs to be, to be the envy of the neighborhood when it comes to watching football in the fall. You need to contact Lafayette Marble and Granite today to try to make that happen. Yeah, we always joke when it's mini camp time and spring game time, it's time to get that man came up to speed. So right now it is the season for outdoor kitchens. We're doing at least one to two a week, and we're getting more and more interest across the board. Once again, with all these customizable things you have, pet showers, outdoor kitchens, uh, grill rooms, you know, man caves. Uh, we're very honored to be part of the promotion that Delta Media's had with the uh, man cave makeover, and this is definitely the time to do it. So if you've got it in your mind to do it today is the time you want to invite your boys by have a couple beverages get your football on today is the day to make it impressive have him invited over to a new countertop a new space something that you can be extremely proud of chris appreciate the time as always brother thank you so much and i uh, hope you and your family have a tremendous summer and i uh, hope business it continues to keep booming for you and everyone over at lafayette marble and granite thanks so much ray really appreciate it buddy have a good one this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. What will you do this Memorial Day weekend? Will you be honoring the fallen? Will you go to the beach? Will you have a family cookout? Or maybe you'll do something else. Maybe you'll watch some sporting events or just relax. We want to hear from you. Get your votes in and leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to bring on our final guest of today's show and the final guest of the week. He is the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. He's also the co-host of the Locked On NBA podcast. Jake Madison joins us now. Jake, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on to talk some hoops here. Let's uh, let's get right to it. Uh, are the Boston Celtics one of the most perplexing and infuriating teams to watch? Because when they play to their potential... They're the best team in the NBA. When they don't and look like they don't care, they find themselves down in a 3-0 hole. Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question is yes and no, because this is who they've been all season long. So to see them go down 0-3 to a lower seed doesn't necessarily surprise me. To see them struggle to win home games in the playoffs doesn't surprise me. And then to see them start to come back and show a little bit of life of two blowout wins that they desperately needed, otherwise they'd be out of the playoffs, you know, doesn't shock me as well. I think if this is a team that somehow completes this historic comeback, first of its kind, goes to the NBA Finals and even wins it all, you're going to look at this Boston Celtics team and be like, well, they were definitely one of the worst Finals champions of all time, but they still get the title. So none of this truly surprises me. This is who they were in the regular season. This is still who they are, and there's just more growth needed there, ideally also from their head coach and Joe Mazzula, who's a guy who had almost no front-of-bench experience. This was a guy who was behind the bench that they elevated to being their head coach. So to kind of see some up and downs, I think, isn't truly surprising to me. And right, they've been that way most of the season, in particular the last quarter of the regular season we saw this from them, where it's just a lack of consistency and a lack of focus. And this is a veteran team as well. Like, like Tatum and Smart and Brown have been playing together for a while now. And I think that's the thing that is the most surprising is how inconsistent they are. Do you think that's just them still growing into those roles? Is that the change in head coach playing a role here? Or is it just something else? You know, I think it's a mix of all of that. I definitely think there are head coaching issues there. Not that they should fire Joe Missoula. They won't do that. He doesn't deserve to be fired. But similar to head coach Willie Green here in New Orleans, you know, sometimes head coaches uh, improve as well, just like players do. There's a progression there. They get better as time goes on. For a guy kind of thrust into the seat for the first time to see him struggling with timeouts and rotations and questionable decision-making doesn't shock me. And you go, okay, that's definitely a thing that gets better next season and maybe they take a little bit of a step forward after taking a step back after firing Ime Udoka last season. When it comes to Jalen and Jason Tatum here, I think that's where you've got to wonder, can those two win a title together? I think they could. We'll certainly maybe find out very soon. 
But this is year five, year six of those two being the best players on your team. Al Horford's been there before. Marcus Smart has been there, I think, longer than any of them at this point. So when you look at all of those guys together, if you haven't gotten over the hump, are you going to get over the hump? And the answer to that might be no. They're not going to blow it up this season. They're going to go one more year with this group, I think, before they have to really kind of reckon with all of that. But I think it's a valid question to ask at this point. I don't think this is a role player thing. I think this is kind of a star player thing that maybe those two guys just aren't who you need to lead you to a title. Do you look into trading one of them then? But we're probably a year away from that conversation truly being around the league. Spo has once again done an amazing job this season with Jimmy Butler, Bam, and I call the corpses of Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love and a bunch of undrafted guys. He began his career coaching superstars, guys that are going to be in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, three of them. Pat Riley, disciple, and now he's leading teams on the brink of another finals with a guy that many consider not even a top 10 player, maybe not even a top 15 player in Jimmy Butler, is Spolstra the best coach in the NBA right now? Yeah, I think you could easily argue that, right? And, you know, this is a guy who's a grinder. You said he started his career coaching superstars. He started his career in a dark room in the back of the facility, grinding through tape and trying to learn everything he could about the game to bring it to guys like Pat Riley and others. And I think that type of experience has led him really well to being just very good tactically with players and also being very good at player development. You mentioned the undrafted guys. They have eight undrafted guys that have been significant contributors to them in the postseason. And when you talk about the Miami Heat, something that always comes up is the Heat culture. And it's very much a real thing. And this is where familiarity, where longevity is a really important thing. Spoh's been there for how long, right? He's been the head coach for how long? He's been an assistant. He's been in the film guy for how long? He's been there forever at this point, it feels like. You have a guy like Udonis Haslam who's in his 20th season on the bench as a player who just kind of sets the tone for this team, and everyone really buys into that. And then you add in a Jimmy Butler a couple of years ago who's just the most perfect Miami Heat player, a guy that just goes out and is going to outwork literally everybody else. I don't think he's a top 10, 15 guy in the regular season, but you get him into the postseason when he's playing his best. I don't know if there's a guy better than him when he's out there doing what he does, though it seems like he's struggling a little bit right now and has a bit of an injury too. So when you kind of put all of those factors together with that heat culture, I think it really does elevate them. But the main guy in all of this, and the guy who's going to have to carry this going forward, is Eric Spolstra, their head coach, because Haslam's retiring this year. So Spolstra is going to be the one to continue to do it. But he has had some down years. You know, after LeBron James left, before they got Jimmy Butler, that's a team that didn't make the postseason at all. It shows you it's still a star-driven league, and head coaches are important, but you need good players there to carry you as well. Well, with that being said, Jake, it went so well for Miami early in this series, but we've seen a bit of a shift in the last two games. Do you equate most of that to maybe Jimmy Butler not being 100% or Boston's adjustments? And how do you think Miami can find a way to get back over the hump and close this series out? Yeah, I think it's it's really come down, I think, to Jimmy Butler struggling a little bit, whether it's that ankle that I think he's dealing with or what have you. Something seems a little bit 
different with him all of a sudden, and you're seeing the Miami Heat not really able to kind of get into games, and these other players aren't able to feed off of Jimmy Butler's energy, and I think that's one of the biggest things. When he goes out and plays like that, and go back to his time in Minnesota, there's this infamous practice story where before he requested a trade, he was fed up there, wanted out, and so he said, I'm not going to play with the starters today. I'm going to play with the third team guys today, and we're going to scrimmage, and then the third team with Jimmy Butler smoked the first team because Jimmy Butler more or less refuse to let that group lose. When you have a guy that makes everyone raise their level because of how he's playing, it's going to take you pretty far. And if he's not able to do that, I think those other guys on the team are a little bit deflated because, because of that. On the flip side, it's like welcome to the Contra Finals, Jason Tatum and some of these other guys, right? In game four, it was Tatum finally scoring in the second half in the fourth quarter and taking over that game in a way that he hadn't been before. And this was a guy who was in the MVP conversation, if it's fourth or fifth, you need that guy to step up. And he had largely been absent for the Celtics during this. Now they've got him going a little bit more, and he was on fire to start the game along with Derek White last night. That takes you far. It's a star-driven league. If your best players either aren't available and out there on the court, not hinting at anything here in New Orleans, or they're just not playing well, you're not going to win games. You can have the best coach in the world. Look at Greg Popovich, though, these past couple of years, not making the postseason, ending up with the number one overall pick. No one's debating his greatness, right? It's just simply they haven't had the players to take them very far. If Jimmy Butler is not going to step up, undrafted players are nice. But what works for that team is that dude being the man out there on the court. He hasn't been. So they're losing games. And then for the Celtics, it's, hey, Tatum's playing really well. They're going to win games. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Pelicans there, Jake, because that's where I wanted to go with the next question and the the team that we follow most closely over here. what do you think this offseason entails? And I guess I can ask the question this way. How many new faces approximately do you expect to see on this roster with the idea that maybe the Pelicans can try and run it back and hope for better health or uh, maybe shake things up? Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to see too many new faces. There will certainly be some tweaks definitely around the edges. I would not be shocked if the biggest player traded is Jonas Valanciunas if they bring in a new center. Is that someone that they don't really seem – to want to close games with or kind of involve in the way that maybe they should. But ultimately, I don't think that's the biggest move. I think you're looking at kind of tweaking around the edges a little bit. Some of the rotation guys, they'll draft someone at 14 or trade that pick, but they're not going to do a blockbuster trade or anything like that. And I think this team is probably looking at the Denver Nuggets as an example of, you know, needing to have patience. And I actually talked about this unlocked on Pelicans on Thursday, where if you look at this Denver Nuggets team, you know, there's a couple of lessons to be learned and applied to this Pelicans roster, I think. You know, there's a lot of frustration with Zion Williamson missing games, Brandon Ingram missing games, CJ being hurt most of the year, leading to a little bit of subpar play from him. But this team, when healthy, was good. And if you look at the Denver Nuggets in the bubble, they made a run to the conference finals, losing to the Los Angeles Lakers. And since then, has had not the type of playoff success you you would want. They lost in the first round last year, but they've dealt with a lot of injuries too. Jamal Murray more or less missed two postseasons. He missed the entirety of last year. You had Michael Porter Jr. who missed his rookie year and only played nine games last season on a max deal. But they realized there was something special with that group, decided to stick with them, and then if health worked out, 
they were going to be very good, and now they're in their first NBA Finals. I, I think that's the same way that David Griffin and the Pelicans' front office and even ownership is operating right now. Not that there's something inherently flawed with the roster construction. It's just the lack of availability. And they saw Zion Williamson in shape to start last season. Then the hamstring injury happened. Then a setback in the hamstring injury happened. And then that seemed to really bring Zion down. And did he do what he needed to do? I think the answer to that is no, to get back out there sooner rather than later. But if he can grow from that, if Brandon Ingram can realize what's at stake here too, and they can do their best to try and prevent injuries and come back from injuries sooner rather than later, this team's going to look at themselves and say, we're in a very good spot. They were first in the West for a reason at one point this season. And while you don't win a title based off being first in December, you don't get there by accident either. And so I think this is a team that feels really good about themselves. There'll be some different tweaks. They might look to trade a guy like Najee Marshall, who's a little bit superfluous, I think, on this roster, maybe has some value around the league. They'd certainly like to bring in another big man, I think, or even just a backup kind of rim-protecting, shot-blocking big man. So you're maybe looking at four new faces, maybe at the most, going into next season. Jake, we'll get you out of here with this. Only got about 35 seconds. Who's going to be in the NBA Finals, and who's going to be hoisting the Larry O'Brien Trophy when it's all said and done? Give me the Denver Nuggets and still the Miami Heat, and I think it's going to be Denver at the end of the day. I think they're just the best team by far with the best player, Nikola Jokic. Jake, appreciate you, Tom. Brother, keep up the tremendous work you're doing with the Locked On family of networks. Thank you so much, bud. Enjoy your weekend. Of course, thanks for having me on, y'all. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Can we just take a moment to give a shout out to our listeners? Because I got number love for them. So we challenged Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie. By the way, he's Mr. Green during the school year, D'Lo. He becomes Jamie when he is no longer in school, molding young minds. We asked him, hey, why did Arsenal put gold on their unis even though they didn't win the championship? He is chimed in. It is an homage to the club's 20th anniversary of their Invisibles squad who won the league without losing a match. You're welcome. There you go. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we know now. I'm glad we know. <laughs> I appreciate. They could have put silver because they came in second place in the Premier League this year. There we go. There we go. But they went with gold. <laughs> Want to also thank our guest. It was a jam-packed Friday edition of RP3 and Company. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time Podcast talking Astros. How about? The LSU legend, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Kevin Mawai. He was tremendous. Appreciate him coming by, talking about his career, and of course, the upcoming Louisiana line camp down in Thibodeau. Chris Smith from Lafayette Marble and Granite. Man, you want to upgrade your man cave? You want to upgrade your kitchens and bathrooms? You got to go talk to my guy, Chris, over at LMG. And of course, Jake Madison from the Locked On Pels podcast and the Locked On NBA podcast. 
Final results of the poll question of the day. What will you do this Memorial Day holiday weekend? 31% of you say other. 28% say honor the fallen. 22% say family cookout. 19% say go to the beach. Thanks to all who commented. Thanks to all who voted as well on the poll question of the day. And remember, just public service announcement. Memorial Day is honoring the fallen. Those men and women that sacrificed their lives so we can be free. It's not a happy Veterans Day type of thing. Save that for the fall for Veterans Day. Don't go be telling veterans happy Memorial Day. Let's not do that, okay? Let's be a little bit more respectful. We'll all, we're you off. We are. It's time to go. We're off on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday, 6 to 9. But until then. Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. The Dell Technologies Summer Sale event is on with limited quantity.